Hi there. Welcome and thank you for listening in. I'm super stoked to have you with me. My name is Philip Hartmann and Being Dad is a show for dads. I meet and speak to unique dads, asking them to impart their wisdom and to share their experiences as dads with us. The reason for being dad is my own story. I became a father five times within 13 months. Yes, five times, 13 months. I was seriously underprepared and I struggled to find inspiring content for myself. By meeting and connecting with these men, I'm trying to learn all there is about being a dad. We cover heart-to-heart topics between two dads and our aim is to inspire other fathers. And with this, hopefully we can make a positive impact on families around the world. As a dad, the best advice I give myself is when I'm with my daughter, I'm with my daughter. I'm fully present and I'm with her. She's the most important thing. My next dad's name is Brandon Dempsey. He's a super passionate dad who has two children. He's a serial entrepreneur who owns two companies, a real estate development company and a marketing agency. He's also an author, a speaker, a professor, a non-profit leader. He's an adventurer and he runs a couple of non-profits. He's also an Ironman and he loves motorcycling. Okay. Brandon is one of the most focused persons I know and he's worked out a very high level of clarity of vision for himself and who he wants to be. He's one of the few amazing strategists who also can execute well. To give you an example, when Brandon became a dad, he didn't feel like he'd had the right role models for for a dad growing up. And so he simply started interviewing a few dozen successful dads according to the definition he had worked out for himself. Not only was he very intentional about choosing which men he wanted to speak to, in many instances he actually took a plane and he went to see them. In this session, Brandon shares his own learnings and his key strategies on teaching his kids intentionality and being present. We talk about his value sets as a dad and how he applies intentionality and accountability to family life. One very powerful concept Brandon shares is the who over what. We also talk about his own upbringing in a family with 14 children. He was the oldest. The most powerful takeaways for me as a dad were, I want to be 100% present when I'm at home. Phone off, watch off. My interaction with strangers has a huge impact on how my children interact with others too. Take intention on how I can become the person I want to become and put guardrails in place where necessary. The concept of building a better who is more powerful than focusing on what I want to do. Sorry for the sound, it's a bit reverby at times because both of us are literally sitting in a storage room facility in two different places around the globe. For all of my German listeners, please do check out my wife's podcast. It's called On The Run Mums, where she speaks about her life and learnings as a mum of twins and triplets. The link's in the show notes. With this, please enjoy this episode of Dedicated.com and please share it with other parents if you liked it. Thank you. Have fun. My next guest is Brandon. Brandon, I'm super stoked to have you on the show. <laughs> it took a long time. Now we're both sitting in some kind of a storage room. <laughs> Me in Hamburg, you in St. Louis. Uh, can, you do, can you do a quick intro about yourself? Yeah, named Brandon Dempsey. Uh, I, I am currently in a, a closet on the third floor of our office in St. Louis, Missouri. It had the best sound <laughs> acoustics for where I could hide with my new blue Yeti mic that you told me I had to get. So my bio is I'm a husband married to an amazing woman named Adrian, been married for 11 years. And uh, when you talk about batting out of your league, I totally batted way out of my league. Uh, just incredible woman. I'm a father. I have one daughter who's three and uh, we've currently taken her to eight countries. We travel the world with her and really have a lot of fun with her. And I have one on the way, another daughter due in November. I'm an adventurer, so I just got back from Bogota, Colombia, where I was uh, paragliding, sailing, rock climbing, rappelling down waterfalls, going through the jungle, just had a great adventure in Bogota. And actually, four weeks ago, we were in Ireland uh, adventuring as a family throughout the country of Ireland. I'm an entrepreneur. I own a marketing company in St. Louis, a very niche marketing company. And then I also own a real estate development company. And I published a book in 2016 called Shut Up and Go. And I do a lot of speaking around uh, empowerment and goal planning, which is 
things that are really passionate to me and really personal to me. I'm a professor, so I teach at Washington University in St. Louis. I teach a master's level marketing class. And I'm also a nonprofit leader. I'm currently the global membership chair for Entrepreneurs Organization. So I'm responsible for the organization's net total growth. And then I also run a couple other nonprofits, one being a uh, entrepreneurship program at a local high school near my house. Wow. <laughs> okay. I didn't know um, all of that. And I'm quite impressed, I must say. On the empowerment thing, I can certainly speak for myself that you have empowered me with all you do. You haven't mentioned that you're busy writing a book and that you're very involved in the whole story of being a dad, which is how we connected at, in Macau. So, yeah, well done, man. And I don't know how you do all this in, in, in your time. Uh, I actually, I do know you get up at 4.30 in the morning or something, and I really wanted to speak to you about this. Can you share your morning routine that you're doing every day? So this morning, super powerful. Yeah, so this morning my alarm went off at 4.35 a.m. And I've learned that I am not a quick start. So when I wake up, I'm not ready to tackle the day. I'm much more of a, that alarm goes off when I don't want to get up. So what I do is, and my wife really doesn't like that my alarm goes off that early in the morning, especially when she's pregnant and already has trouble sleeping. So I wear an Apple watch. My alarm goes off at 4.35 a.m. And I hit the snooze button one time which basically lets me kind of start meditating, just kind of relaxing for seven minutes. And then I get up and I go downstairs and I sit and I meditate for five to 10 minutes. Once I'm done with my meditation, I do some visualization. Uh, so I have a sheet of goals, uh, pictures, and then a whole several paragraphs that I read that what my ideal and perfect day looks like. Uh, all the way down to how I wake up, how I get up, what I do during the day, what time I get home, that kind of stuff. And I have pictures and images that, that support that life. Then I journal and I journal about anything that comes out of my mind just goes into, into my journal. Once I get done journaling, I do a series and read a series of affirmations about who I am and who the person is that I am from a husband, a father, an adventurer, an entrepreneur, a professor, and a nonprofit leader. And I visualize and give affirmations about who I want to become, what I have to work on. Then when I get done with that, I get dressed and go hit the gym and I work out for an hour to an hour and a half. And then I start my day and I'm out the door and out my day. And that was my morning this morning. Mind blowing. And do you do it every day? I do it five days a week. Um, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then Saturdays and Sundays, I do a condensed version where I get up in the morning and I think, who do I have to be today? And then I go and I work out on Saturdays or on Sunday mornings, I leave at 5.30 or 6 a.m. for a motorcycle ride. And I go ride my motorcycle as far as I can, north, south, east, or west, with no directions. I just start going north, south, east, or west. And I go all the way out and then turn around and come back. And I'm always home by 7.25 so that I can get my daughter up at 7.30 in the morning and be there to, to wake her up on Sunday morning. And then when she takes her nap in the afternoon, I go do an afternoon workout on Sundays. I love you. And do you, do, you, do you spend every Sunday with your daughter? Is that a thing or how is that? Uh, Sunday mornings are us having breakfast together. Yeah, generally Saturday and Sunday mornings are us having breakfast together. Okay. When I work out on Saturday mornings, I ho I'm home before 7.30 when she wakes up. Wow. Wow. Okay. And can you speak a little bit about the, I know you're writing, uh, when we met, actually we started writing together. But we. You already wrote, uh, we're busy writing a book. And I know you're speaking to amazing dads. And can you share a little bit of, of what these people are telling you and, and what the project is? So my growing up, I didn't have what I felt like were the right role models for a dad and the right role models for what a man and a father should be. And as I got older and had my daughter, I noticed that were some dads that were really successful entrepreneurs but they were terrible dads or they were terrible husbands or they were really successful entrepreneurs and they weighed 500 pounds and had these beer bellies, you know, sticking way out and they weren't healthy. And they had, and I've met other dads who were great dads, but they had a failing business or they had failing health. And there were very few dads I met who had their own personal identity, had a great relationship with their spouse, had an amazing relationship with their kids and had a successful and thriving business. And those four things to me are kind of the holy grail of self-identity, relationship with your spouse, active father, and successful and thriving business. And so what I thought is, okay, if this is who I want to be, 
then I need to go out and meet as many of these guys as I can and interview them selfishly so that I can figure out how to become the type of man, the type of father that I want to be. And an interesting thing happens as I started doing these interviews, everyone started asking me, what are you doing? What's this project you're working on? And I told them, like, well, that's awesome. Will you turn that into a book? And I thought, okay, sure, yeah, I'll turn it into a book. And so I've interviewed a bunch of people. Then I found out the stuff you're doing, and I thought, well, this is great. You've got all this great content. There's got to be a way we can bring these two sets of content and ideas together to write a book all around entrepreneur dads. And so I'm really excited about the collaboration that we've got because I think we can pull together a bunch of really cool stories, but then also not just stories, tactical advice for fathers that yeah. helps them be more present and be and realize their full potential as a father, a husband, as an entrepreneur, and as an individual. Yeah, that that's what I love about the project. It's not just it's not just uh, advice or yeah, some sort of inspirational kind of content, but it's really content. The way I envision it, envision it, anyways, is that the content is truly applicable. So can apply the tactics that these these men share and and that's what's amazing and the proof is in the pudding because they have achieved this right so mm -hmm. i think there's some real real gems coming i've listened to the content that you sent me obviously and i hear the you know i hear the stuff that people tell me that so yes there's there's a lot of stuff that's valuable and of course these men have gone through it so why not learn from from the experience ahead right yeah i think there's a big difference between dads who want to play an active role in becoming a better dad and becoming a better man or husband. And there's a difference between those who seek it out and those who passively accidentally become good. And I just believe that, and what I've learned is that the ones who seek it out are the ones who realize their potential and, and realize the level of fulfillment and happiness that I think a lot of other dads uh, don't realize. Yeah. Yeah, and it's all about balance, right? Because those four areas that you are that you've defined, those are big areas. You know, it's 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 quite difficult to have a super successful career and a good marriage and a good relationship with your children and also take care of yourself um, if you don't have clarity of vision and clarity of purpose. Because I tend to always go out of balance. I eat too much, I do too much sport, I work too much, I don't work at all. You know, it's, it's, I find it very, very difficult, especially as an entrepreneur, because, you know, shiny thing syndrome, you go, you go and you, yeah. For me, the most difficult thing really is to focus. Yeah. To not start the next project and the next project and the next project. You get derailed. Well, and how to make sure, like I struggle with same, similarly with how to, what are the guardrails, what are the systems that I have to put in place, because I can't trust myself. There's no way that I can wake up every day and just be who I want to be. I have to build structures and systems. Hence why I get up at 4.30. Hence why I have scheduled time. Like, And those guardrails help protect me from myself to some extent and help ensure that I'm showing up the way that I want to show up. And I'm most importantly becoming the person I want to become. Because I think a lot of people don't take intention with how do they work on becoming the person they want to become? And like me, I used to just get up and say, okay, here's what I'm going to do today. Here's what I'm going to do today. And that lack of intention let, left me underfulfilled. And uh, I, I think there's just so much more that, that we are capable of if we put intention toward it. A hundred percent agreed. And do you, do you have systems for your accountability? So, I mean, it, it's easy to say, I get up every morning, 4.30 in the morning, because I, I want to be intentional. If you are, say, an early morning riser, for instance, I, I really struggle to get up if I didn't sleep eight hours. So if I go to bed too late, problem. How do you do this? Do you use your forum? Do you have a mentor? Do you ch check in? Do you write down, this is, these are my KPIs, and you check yourself? Or how, how, how do you do that? Uh, yes to all of the above. Uh, I have a forum through Entrepreneurs Organization. I have a mentor that I meet with on a monthly basis. I have a series of other mentors that I meet with uh, more sporadically. I have a daily log of a spreadsheet that I add to every single day that I do my routine. And so that holds a level of accountability. And I have yearly, I have one year, three year and someday goals that I'm working toward. And I plan my year out based on what are the goals that I want to accomplish 
and that holds me accountable to staying on track to accomplish the things that I'm setting out to accomplish. So there's a lot of uh, checking in on a regular basis with, am I on the right track or not on the right track? Because so last week, for example, I had one night, we had an event for work where I didn't get home until 1am. Well, I can't really get up at 435 if I just went to bed at 1am. And so I reset my alarm for 6am and said, I can deal with five hours of sleep. I can't run on three and a half. So I'll get up at six and I ended up getting up at like six 30 and I just did a condensed version and my workout was walking the dog around the block a couple of times. So I didn't okay. get my intense normal workout that I wanted in, but I also made sure I got up and got some fresh air just to wake up. And then I just went to bed early the next night. Yeah. And I think you can't, I mean, you can't live without sleep. So sleep is so important. It's important to protect the asset yourself and your health. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't sleep for extended period of times, your brain stops functioning. And I mean, it's actually, it's not good. It's better to sleep and, and it's a lot easier to skip a workout than it is to skip sleep is what I found. And so I won't sacrifice my sleep. Like I need to get my, I need to get some sleep. Do you apply the same rules for your family? So for instance, I have certain things that I want to achieve in the relationship with my wife, improve the relationship. I want to live a life where I'm worthy of the love of my children and my wife. And I underpin this, with activities. So for instance, I schedule away time with the wife, I schedule solo dates with the kids and it's in the calendar and I try not to move it. That's always a trick, isn't it? Um, do you have similar strategies that you can share? I think putting it in the calendar is the best strategy. Uh, cause that would get, that which gets scheduled gets done. Uh, that which gets scheduled gets done. And, uh, but I've also found that I used to just schedule stuff based off what I thought was going to be the right priorities. And I didn't do a good job of communicating with my wife of what she thought the right priorities should be. (laughs) Shocking. (laughs) So we now have, we now have an annual kind of planning about what we want the next year to be, what we're both working on. And then we decide what that calendar should be. And so now I have my monthly date nights. We have our time where I'm home early on Fridays. I have my Sunday morning rituals with my daughter. Like we book a lot of this stuff out ahead of time. And she now is, you want to talk about accountability partner, tell your wife, you're going to have a date night once a month and try to skip that. It doesn't happen. She will make sure it happens. So I think a big part is scheduling it, but the step before scheduling is making sure you're both in alignment of what that schedule is, is working toward because I did not do that. I just did. Here's what we're going to do. And yeah, that wasn't smart. Yeah. And it's not productive because your goal is really to get her aligned, to be aligned with you. Right. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise it's not going to work. She wants to do something completely different. Maybe it doesn't work out for her. So it becomes a inconvenience for her. Mm -hmm. You just go, Hey, and this, I scheduled. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. And, can you, can you share a little bit more like around values as a dad and how you try to, to achieve those? I know you're very strong ones. So my values as a dad, uh, one of them is being 100% present. So when I'm with my daughter, uh, I really want to make sure I'm with her, which means I don't wear an Apple watch anymore at home. Uh, mm-hmm. I wake okay. up when I wear it when I sleep, but I don't wear it if I'm at home. I don't wear it if I'm even at work now. Uh, because I don't want those interruptions taking place. When I get home, I take my phone out of my pocket and I set my phone up on uh, the counter and it's there because my daughter, if she sees me on it in front of her, that means I'm telling her that that's more important than her. And I think it's just really key that we say one thing, but our actions speak louder than words in so many ways. And I can really see how my actions, there are times where I remember, uh, my wife and I were driving to dinner one night and Ava was in the back seat, and we we're going to park. And my wife, I went to pull into a parking lot that was closed. My wife's yelling at me, this parking lot's closed. This parking lot's closed. I said, I know I'm just using it to turn around real quick to go out. And I said, just chill out, just chill out, Adrian, just chill out. And all of a sudden from the back seat, we hear out, chill out, Adrian, chill out. <laughs> and you just saw my wife's well, wife head. I, I swear, steam started coming out of her ears. And she gave me this <laughs> death look, like, I'm going to kill you now. And for the next week, my daughter told my wife to just chill out, Adrian, just chill out, Adrian. And I'm like, oh, I have got to watch my words around her because she's a digital recorder. She's a biological recorder. She just yeah, repeats she's the recorder. Say. And... Yeah. So the whole, 
actions of how I treat my wife, how I talk to my wife, how I treat every person I interact with. So I'm really big on getting to know people's names. So whenever we go someplace, I say, hi, my name is Brandon. What's yours? And so my daughter, when she wants to meet somebody, anytime we go someplace new, she says, hi, my name is Ava. What's yours? And it's amazing how every person who waits on us from a, like waits our table and go to a restaurant, they spend all this time with us. And my daughter sees how I treat that wait staff. Every time we go to get our car worked on or anything, it's, hi, my name is Brandon. What's yours? And so we start our interaction. I start my interaction with strangers with, hi, my name is Brandon. What's yours? And I start on a name basis. And my daughter has now repeated that. So my daughter, before she asks for something, starts with, hi, my name is Ava. What's yours? And that's a big value of mine, uh, which is being present, which is treating humans like humans, which means I have to act that way. Uh, it's, it's making sure that I, when I'm with somebody, that I'm making sure that they know I'm with them and I'm present with them. I don't get on my phone when I check out for things. I, like the phone to me is just something I put away a lot and I try to keep out of my life as much as I can. Now, when I need it, I'm on it. Similarly with social media, I do not spend a lot of time on social media. I prefer to be out living life versus doing on social media. So we just had this great trip to Ireland for, t- for 10 days. We took some pictures. We went out and about, but I wasn't posting on Facebook what I was doing. I still haven't even posted on Facebook that I even went to Ireland, let alone I made a video of it. I still haven't posted that. Uh, so to me, it's about being very intentional and being very present. Uh, with my actions, not just not just my words. That is so difficult. Hey? I mean, I find myself super addicted to my phone, and I randomly check the phone in, in the day, and uh, it's, it's the worst. Like you said, I'm, I'm aware of it, but it's so difficult if, you know, like I work on the phone because my email and everything, I literally I work on the phone on the run the whole time. I don't even have an office. And, and especially now when I'm in Germany and I catch myself often checking that phone. And I know that, you know, if the phone rings and your daughter wants something and you pick up the phone, the third time you do it, she knows very much who's more important, Mm -hmm. the phone. And that is such a big problem. Yeah. I agree with you. Hey, you haven't even sent me pictures of your trip, man. Uh, yeah, I ha- I do a poor job of promoting it. I will get you the video of Colombia and get you the video of Ireland though, because they look awesome. Yeah, we actually got this you don't even have- shot of us with my drone flying along the cliffs of Moor as we were hiking along the cliffs of Moor, and I've got my daughter on my back and then my pregnant wife walking next to me, and the drone is following us while we're hiking the cliffs of Moor. It was it was an epic shot, man. That Just an epic shot. Awesome. That is so awesome. Super cool. I've never been there actually. I've been to Ireland. But that's a long time ago, maybe 25 years ago, something. It's good surf there. You have to take your kids. And that's another thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I think a lot of dads don't take their kids. A lot of parents, when we, when we had our daughter, so many people told us, well, there go your travels. You can't travel with your kid anymore. And what I've realized is there are toddlers and babies in just about every country in the world. And they have kids there too, which means we can take them. And I think a lot of uh, parents, um, at least people that I know, have chosen to not not embrace taking their kids from a hassle standpoint. And I think that the experience can be just as rich bringing the kids. Now, I didn't go on the tour, the, uh, the Guinness tour. I didn't go on the Jameson tour. I didn't go drink a bunch of alcohol. You know, I had a different kind of trip. Uh, but I had still an amazing trip with my daughter. It was just a different type of trip that I would have done by myself. Yeah. There's, there's something another dad told me once, and that was teaching outside of your own bias. Do you do that? Do you, do you make an effort of this? It's very easy. Like if I want to go surfing, I'll take my son surfing when they're old enough. I can imagine that's easy enough. So, the, but, so yes, there are definitely things that I like to do, and there are things that I don't really care about doing. Uh, but if my daughter likes to do it, or part of, I think, exposing and opening our daughter up, to different worldviews and different experiences is doing things that I don't necessarily enjoy as much. So this past weekend, we took our daughter horseback riding and I've been horseback riding. I'd rather go ride my motorcycle than ride a horse, but my daughter really enjoys it. So we spent two hours and she was riding horses for two hours with a little trainer and walking around and I was there and present and, and doing it. And she had a lot of fun with it. So I think it's important 
for me, it's important to expose our kids to experiences that we enjoy, don't enjoy, because that's part of how they're going to develop their own identity of what they like and what they don't like. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly why you need to teach them outside of your bias. And do you translate this, these kind of views that you have into your company or do you try to do that? And if so, how do you do that? So our company is, is we, we call ourselves the land of misfit toys uh, because we have every type of political persuasion at our company, gender persuasion, uh, gender preference, I should say, not persuasion. So uh, gender preference, political preference. Uh, what is gender preference? Uh, gender preference would be uh, how you were, what you were assigned at birth and what you self-identify as today. So... You oh, yeah. may self-identify as male or female, but you were assigned female or male at birth. Uh, so we have, we allow all different types here. And what we found in our company is that diversity is much more about thoughts, ideas, and beliefs than it is about skin tone. So we do have diversity in, in skin tones, but we have much more diversity in ex life experiences and thoughts and ideas. And that level of diversity and belief structure and thoughts and ideas develops, we think, better work for the clients that we serve because we're able to understand them and able to understand their clients from a very diverse set of views. And I believe that's where innovation happens is the combination of multiple viewpoints that aren't all similar. And so I think that's allowed us to be a very innovative company uh, compared to a lot of our peers who hire people that all think, look, act the same. Yeah. I can only agree, 100%, 100%. I mean, coming, we have a, a family, obviously two of my children are black and the other the triplets are white. So I can see this from a racial perspective, from a cultural perspective, I can see it because as a German, I live in South Africa and the triplets are born in South Africa and so are the twins, but the twins are Kosa from their culture. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine this. On the, what is the name of your company? Because so then people can look it up. The uh, name of our company is Go Brand Go. So it's gobrandgo.com. Yep. And just tell us quickly what, what the company does for our listeners. So we are a niche marketing company that works with 25 to $250 million privately held companies whose owners are in their 50s and 60s, making a leadership transition in the next decade or so. They're in manufacturing and distribution, and they generally ride a motorcycle, have two grandkids, a vacation or timeshare someplace, and have already invested in strategic planning. Wow. When I met you in Macau and you told me this positioning, I was blown away, and I've hence obviously copied it, and, uh, no. <laughs> and it works. I mean, you can focus, you can really, really focus on your target group, hey, and if you, if you understand what you actually stand for, and actually if you voice that. That is that I think is is the power in what I've learned from you. If you actually voice where you position yourself and be so strategic about it. Well, and I think there's a lot of parallels to being a father and being an entrepreneur in that so many people focus on what they want to do. So here's what I want to accomplish. Here's how much money I want to make. Like it's very focused on what. When I feel it should be focused on who. So who do I want to become as a person? Who do I want to serve? Who do I want to build a life around? And so I've chosen, I, here's who I want to be as a father. Here's who I want to be as an entrepreneur. Here's who I want to be as a husband. Here's who I want to be as an adventurer, which means the stuff I schedule and the way I run my life is building a better who. And when I focus on, and for our company, who we want to serve, these 50 and 60-year-old business owners who own these 25, $250 million companies and they're making a leadership transition in the next decade or so, now suddenly, since we focused on who, we can build and customize everything around that person, that profile. And once we build everything around that person, that profile, what we found is that we're able to charge a premium because I have a philosophy that generalists get talked to and specialists get paid. So if you ever think about if you're going to get a shoulder surgery or a knee surgery, would you go to your general doctor and just say, Hey doc, my shoulder hurts. Why don't you just cut it open? <laughs> you know, just dig around in there a little bit with a knife and we'll see what happens. No, you would you wouldn't do that, right? You'd go to a shoulder specialist or a knee specialist. And when you went to that shoulder specialist or knee specialist, would you ask them how much it costs to fix your shoulder or your knee? Yeah. No. Yeah, no, you're going no, you to get go to the best one ever and you're just going to pay. Exactly. So generalists get talked to, specialists get paid. And yeah. what I found is that for our company, being a specialist means people seek us out. 
versus being a generalist, we're kind of just fighting for, we can fight on price and compete on price, but we have nothing else to compete on. Yeah, I love this. And I know, I know you, because we've talked of, and we talk regularly, and I know that you translate this to family as well and who you want to be as a dad. And that is why you started seeking out these other dads and started interviewing them because they are in the direction of who you want to be in the four areas we defined earlier. That's, I find that super impressive because it's, it's, yeah, like I said, it's all around intentionality, right? I mean, you do the same in your visualization as well in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's very much about who I want to be in this field. Earlier you said who I want to be today in a particular field in the morning. What's the best version of this, you know, best negotiator, best dad, best whatever I can be today. And I think that's, I think that is important and it's intentional because like you said, you know, kids, they're like sponges, man. They pick up everything, everything, whatever you do. They pick it up. So, yeah, it's powerful stuff. And they and they see, I think, your actions, and they remember your actions much more than they remember your words. And I think there's, I mean, there's a saying that was told me a long time ago, and that people will forget what you said in a week, but they will never forget how you made them feel. So people will forget what you said in one week, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And I think our kids are, are that way too. If we make them feel second, it doesn't matter what we said. It doesn't matter if we say, I love you. You're the most important thing. But if I make you feel like you're second to my phone, you're second to my business, uh, they're going to feel that and they're never going to forget it. And that's why I, I think we've got to be really conscious and focused on how we're making people feel, not just what we're saying. How do you have these insights? Is this from your work in EO or is this from mentors or from your own experience or why, I think why are you so clear? You're very clear on, on these things. I think it's a combination. Yeah. It's, for me, it's a combination of EO talking to a lot of mentors and a whole lot of self-reflection. And what I've found is that the more I hear these maxims of how, how to orient your life, they're kind of like guardrails. So, you know, guardrail being people will forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. So every interaction you have with me, I want you to feel something positive, something good. You shouldn't feel something negative. And that's a guardrail, right? If I make someone feel bad, that lets me know I'm off kilter. There's something out of whack or something out of balance. And so I, for me, the constant focus on self-development around this who is a constant reminder of am I on course to becoming a better version of myself or not? And that has me just addicted to staying focused on becoming a better version of myself and really becoming a better version of who I want to be. Do, do, do you ever journal negative stuff or only positive things? Yeah, oh, plenty of negative stuff. I had a, you do. yeah, plenty. I mean, it's whatever comes out of my head. Uh, and so just last week there was an interaction uh, that my business partner and I had uh, and there was a, not a huge disagreement, but a small disagreement about how to handle something. And what I will find is that I will jump to a lot of assumptions around what he's thinking or what he's believing. And in reality, yes. I don't know the assumption. I don't know those to be true. They're just false assumptions. And unless I ask, unless we talk about it, I'm, I'm operating off of a false set of reality. And so one of the things I've taken to believe is that I the reality that I see is not the reality that totally exists and that we all have a different view of the reality. And if I want to truly understand, I have to seek to, un you know, another maximum, you have to seek to understand before you can be understood, which means I have to ask a lot of questions and I have to really understand someone else's point of view before I have the right to share with them my point of view. And what I found yeah, that seek to understand me. first before. Yeah, seek to understand first before you try to be understood, right? That's really, and I think that same is true for your kids. I mean, mine are still much younger, but uh, it's obviously they're just normal people, you know. Mm -hmm. But what's also true at the same time is though that I very much believe that perceived reality is real reality because what you feel is is your reality. Back to the point on how you made me feel. So yeah, those that's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that can spend the whole podcast on that. Yeah, and that how they feel. I mean, there are so many times where uh, I've been with my daughter, and she's been really irate, or really it was actually just this weekend. She was starting to just run around crazy, and my wife 
my wife goes, are you hungry? No, I'm not hungry. And she's just running around. And my wife goes, here, eat this cheese stick. And she takes a cheese stick and she gobbles it down. And she goes, thank you, mommy. And she sits down. She said, can I please have some more? And my wife hands her some nuts. And I just thought, wow, like the presence of mind of my wife to see my daughter running around crazy and knowing, oh, she's just hungry. Like there's nothing wrong with her. She's not being bad. It's just, she's hungry. And that hunger is showing up and her being a nut running around our house screaming. And the way you stop that is not by yelling or putting her in timeout or anything like that. The way you stop that is, Hey, you're hungry. Here's some food. And I was just blown away with that for my wife. I'm like, wow. Like I did not realize that at all. Like, how did you know that? She goes, Oh, well look at the time. She last ate this time. It's this time. I just thought, okay, that's, I have a lot to learn. Amazing. I mean, both you and I, and I think many dads will never ever have the intuitive mind that mothers have because they're so connected to their kids from, from before birth. Mm -hmm. Obviously I think, I think dads have to work harder to get this connection that you just described, this kind of like intuitive, yeah, she knows, here's your cheese stick and, and the problem is solved kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd have to think about, like often I have a discussion with my wife and the kids and this is, this is what you think and she then goes, oh, and this is what we're going to do and I'm like, eh? hold on a minute, <laughs> you know, we didn't never talked about this but she's thought about it already much longer. Sometimes the problem for me because I feel like she didn't kind of, we didn't talk about the issue mm-hmm. and she, you know, and she's already made up her mind and this is the solution. And then I feel like left out or like she's telling me what to do without kind of like almost, yeah, not, not, I can't feel like I don't have a say, but obviously she's right anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. Whether you okay. think it or not, she's right. One step ahead. Yeah. Hey, can you share, can you share a bunch of, or do you have strategies in the home? Like, for instance, you just mentioned, uh, that's that's not really strategy, but you just mentioned timeout. Do you do timeouts? But rather, that's one question, but rather I want to know, do you have strategies that you apply that would be valuable for other dads and moms or in relationship as well as with pe- with kids that you've learned that you want to share? That uh, so we have a few strategies. I'll just share what we do for that works for us. I don't know that it'll work for everybody. Uh, we do not watch TV yeah. in our home. We have televisions. We do not watch TV with our daughter. Our daughter is three, and she has seen one movie that she didn't even watch. It was on Christmas morning. We tried to watch Elf, and she watched 20 minutes and then left and had no no desire. So uh, we don't. she never sees us watching TV, and we never have it on. So that's one big key strategy. Two is we do watch some videos of our vacation videos. We do a lot of adventures, and she loves seeing videos and pictures of herself. But we do that on Saturday or Sunday mornings when we're having breakfast together. And the rest of the time, like last night, she goes, Daddy, I want to see the, uh, she calls it the moose video because we've got a picture of the moose in a video. And I yeah. said, no, honey, yeah. not till Saturday. When do we watch videos? We watch videos on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, another thing that uh, my wife actually, I, ha- I got a little credit for this, is my dad taught me a long time ago is that when you say something, it's your opinion, uh, our when I say when I say something to you, let me get this quote right. When I say something to you, it's my opinion. When I can get you to say it, it's gospel. So when I say something to you, it's my opinion. If I can get you to say it, it becomes your gospel. So with our daughter last night, I said, "No, Ava, we cannot watch videos today." Is and she goes Wednesday. I said, "Good." And we only watch videos on what days? She goes Saturday and Monday. I said, "No, we watch videos on <laughs> Saturday and." The group negotiator. And she goes, <laughs> like Sunday. I said, exactly. We only watch videos on Saturday and Sunday. And so I make her finish a lot of the sentences that we start and are the rules of the house. Uh, so that way she's saying it versus us saying it. And that, that has been an amazing Jedi mind trick that has worked so well because she gives herself the rules. Uh, when we go to bed, here's the rule. Hey, Ava, here's our bed routine. And after the, after mom and dad leave, you have to what? Be quiet. And you're not allowed to take my blankets off. And so she finishes a lot of the maxims and sayings that we have. And that's really helped, uh, I think, her with understanding what the boundaries are because it's her saying what those rules are. And it's, it works. She then goes to bed and she does, she stops asking for TV, etc. Yeah, yeah it? it works great. And she sleeps from 
eight o'clock at night. And then she gets, she gets up every morning at six thirty to seven, but she's not allowed to get out of bed until we have this little light that comes on that turns pink at seven 30. And so my wife, so she knows we can't get out of bed until what just till pink light comes on. And so now in the morning she's three, but when the pink light goes on, she gets up, she takes her blankets off. She takes, she has a sleep sack. She folds up her own sleep sack. That's her job. And then mom and dad fold up the blankets and then she gets to get up and get out of bed. But yeah, you she totally has a whole routine that she does in the morning yeah. that she's responsible for, and we have a routine that we're responsible for. And as she gets older, she will have more. She gets more and more and more things that she has to do. Please talk about that because we talked about it before. I want to hear everybody. I want everybody to hear. Talk about this own routine of your daughter that you're trying to to build up and instill. So we're trying. To, why? Yeah. So we're trying to help her understand what are what she's responsible for and what she has ownership and control over. So in the morning, she has certain things that she has to do. She has to fold up her sleep sack. She has to take. She has her stuffed animals and put them away. She has to put her pillow away. And it started with, you have to put your stuffed animals away. Then it was, you have to put your stuffed animals and your pillow away. Then it was, now it's stuffed animals, pillow, and you have to fold up your sleep sack. And she can't get out of her crib until she's folded up her sleep sack. We just started this week of, you have to, she's been potty trained. So during the day, she doesn't wear diapers. And now we're making her wipe before we help her. So she has to do it first, and then we will help. Whereas we used to help, you know, give her the toilet paper. She has to count out four squares of toilet paper, uh, and we have to check it. So she, we keep adding more and more and more responsibility, which is building up her independence. And we feel like it's helping her understand that as I get older, I have to take on more and I have to assume more and I become more self, self-reliant. Yeah. And I'm less dependent. You said it yourself. Independence is a big, big concept here yeah. um, or big threat. And what do you do? So that's obviously carrying your own suitcase if you're going to put in EO terms. Mm-hmm. And what what do you do if she refuses? So obviously, you know, like, okay, fold your sleeping bag. And this is a new concept that you're adding on and then you have terrible tools yep. and she's just not keen and she throws a tantrum. What do you do? Do you leave the room we and you try it? Five so minutes? we start with the cycle sleep sack. I stand there and wait. I say, okay, Eva, let's do it. So we do it together. So we started with, I'd help her do it. We would do it together. And then I would say, all right, we do it. And then I'd undo it and say, can you do it now? And then she would do it. So it's this, gradual progression of me helping her to her doing it on her own. Once she can do it on her own, then I'll stand and wait. And then now we go in and if she has a full up sleep sack, I say, okay, I'll come back when you fold up sleep sack, let me know. And I said, tell me when you fold it up. And, and in the beginning she would cry and scream. And sometimes it would last 20 minutes before she would fold up yeah. her sleep sack. That's why I'm asking because my one daughter, for instance, she would, obviously not fold a sleeping bag just to push my buttons yeah. and to see they're also testing boundaries yeah so and that's their and job and i think that most people i think most parents don't realize that it's the kid's job to pass to push the boundaries and it's your yeah. job as a parent to push back like they're supposed to be pushing boundaries you're supposed to push back it's not yeah. they're supposed to push boundaries and you're supposed to give in or you're supposed to push yeah. it all on them and they're supposed to give in you're both that's healthy tension i think it's really good and what we've decided is that since Ava and her development and growth means more, I'd rather be late to something and have her learn and have a short amount of pain for a long-term gain. So now for the past two, three weeks, she folds her sleep sack right away and then we get out of bed. But there was a good several portion of maybe a month or two where we had to fight and argue. And you know what? I we have I, my wife and I talked about we're just going to embrace this because this is her learning and the growth lessons of her learning to be independent at the age of three. I'd rather teach it to her at the age of three than twenty three because I th- see a lot of kids trying to learn these things at twenty three and they can't. It's so much harder. Hundred percent. And and it's it, it, I uh, spoke to about this to Daddy Saturday. I don't know if you've heard of him. Super cool guy. Also, he's very much about intention, intentionality with his kids, and he's big on embracing failure and of the kids and in the home and making sure they, they acknowledge that failure is just a normal pass in terms of progression. And he's very stoked when they fail early and he righteously says, so if you fail when you're 20 and you're in university and you've never learned, same here, you never learned to take accountability, self-accountability, then it's much harder. It's much more painful, isn't it? Because suddenly it counts. When you're three, 
sure, it's a bit of a tantrum, but, but I mean, it's interesting, you know, I've, I, my one daughter, what she does now, she's four, and she, we'll sit at dinner, and she wants something, and you will say no, and then she says, but I said, please, and I say, yeah, but you can't, because whatever, and she just starts screaming, and it's so annoying, like, she has this scream, and it doesn't, like, she doesn't stop, and it's really difficult because it's pushing everybody's buttons that, you know, the whole dinner is basically messed up. And what I've started to do now is simply remove her from, from the setting and she can come back when she stops. But it, it doesn't feel nice, you know, because, yeah, now she's, she's not at the dinner. And, of course, she screams in the room. But like I said, you know, maybe after two or three months, and that's a long period to endure this, maybe she'll get over it. I don't know. She sees the strategy doesn't work. Maybe that's also the... An answer. They understand if a strategy doesn't work. Yeah. Well, and I think like my wife and I, if we go out to dinner and she start like, so our daughter's three, right? We still go out to dinner two to three nights a week to nice restaurants, and she sits at the table without a phone, and it's perfectly fine to sit at the dinner table for a two-hour dinner and be fine. Yeah. And. And how did you do that? Uh, a lot of training on taking her out early. Like we started taking her out when she was a young age out to dinner and we talk and we have now card games. We'll play at the table at times. Uh, and if she starts acting up, I do similar to what you do. I pick her up and I walk out and there were plenty of times we went to a restaurant and we'd walk out and I'd sit with her for 20, 30 minutes until she calmed down. And then I'd come back inside and we'd sit down and we'd finish our dinner. Uh, but she's not allowed to, we tell her like there are ways you act and there are ways you don't act. And then after she's calmed down, we always talk through, Hey, how do we need to behave when we go out to eat? What do we need to do? And I make her say it, we have to sit down. We have to keep our napkin on our lap. Like, and she's three and she under, she understands it now. Now, I don't know if it'll be that way with the next kid. And certainly there's, I mean, a lot of this I'm sure is her and we've gotten lucky in a lot of ways. Uh, but I also think that we're intentional about it. Whereas a lot of other, parents have chosen not to be as intentional about it. And that's not a knock on other parents. That's just, we want to be intentional about our daughter understanding how to go out and eat and have a nice dinner because it's something we like to do. And so we've intentionally worked on helping her understand how you behave when you go out to eat. So yeah, that dinner stuff is, I mean, that rings a bell, you know, that's very much with five and pretty much all at the same age. I do get these tantrums. And I think this is a very good affirmation of the strategy I want to do to just simply remove her from the setting so she learns that in a non-violent way you know she will learn hey it's not accepted and there's five kids here and two parents and maybe the nanny's also here and we mm -hmm. do want to have a nice dinner and it's just not on because it's not good behavior it's not nice for anybody so that's a good that's a good one well my wife has done that with the uh, grocery shopping where Ava will get out of control at the grocery store and she will leave the, and like that's fine and she puts everything back and they leave the grocery store and so you can't behave like that when we're out. And uh, it gets harder, certainly with more kids. I mean, I have 13 brothers and sisters. Wow. So I'm one of 14 <laughs> kids. And I know this. Yeah. I can tell you that I raised, helped raise several of my siblings. And I saw how just yelling and screaming, that wasn't productive. Like, that doesn't work. Nobody wins. When you yell and scream at the child, that's letting the child win. And that's teaching the child that the way we handle our problems is by yelling and screaming. And early on in my relationship with my wife, I can remember one big fight that we got into. We were, she was screaming at me and I just stood up and I walked out the front door and I came back an hour later. She goes, what, what was that about? I said, how are you doing now? And she goes, well, let's talk. I said, exactly. Let's talk. I said, we don't, we don't communicate by screaming at each other. We don't, yeah. That's not how we communicate with another. We're not, we're not going to just scream and yell and let it escalate. I'm going to step out and I'm just going to leave the situation. And because I saw in my family from a lot of serious, serious, serious issues that if you don't remove yourself from the situation, it can escalate into something violent and can turn physical. And I don't ever want to be in that. I'm going to remove myself from the situation before it can get there. And I want to teach my daughter that we don't spank her when she gets out of line like that or yell at her or scream at her because that's not how we handle those situations. If you're not behaving or you're that frustrated, you just need to remove yourself from the situation because you're not thinking clearly. Nothing's going to come out the right way. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, if there's violence, it's even worse. But some things, 
that well, obviously whatever you say, you, you cannot unsay it, mm-hmm. and and words can be just as hurtful, and that's that's difficult, especially when there's a fight or you're angry or she's pushing you or he or she or your child, children are pushing your buttons. That's difficult. Yeah. And I think it's harder the more tired you are um, to, to control that, right? To have that presence of mind. Uh, Epictetus, uh, who is a big Stoic philosopher, writes in his book that no child, you should not give your children the power to upset you. And I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. Like, are you going to give the three-year-old power over you and that you're going to let yourself get so worked up, you're going to lash out? And then when I read that, I thought to myself, you're right. I shouldn't give her that power. She does not have that power over me. Now, it's easier said than done, and it requires a state of presence of mind to not allow the child to get that power. But I want her to see that you don't have that power over me, that you can act as crazy as you want, and I'm going to stay calm because you don't have that power over me. Yeah, and you've learned this. I know, I know your history and your story. You've learned this from your past, mm-hmm. and I mean that's something very good that came out of that. Yeah, were you the? Were you were not the oldest, hey? What's your? I am the oldest. You are the oldest, oldest, mm-hmm. yeah, and you don't even have an older sister. You're the oldest child, not the oldest mm-hmm. son. Yeah, correct. Yeah, amazing. Wow, fourteen. <laughs> We were five, and I have two half brothers, uh, yeah. but that's half. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm not a, uh, I am not a ringing endorsement for a huge family, but uh, it does make things interesting. So we're going to have two and through is my hope. My wife said maybe three, but I'm two and through, and that's kind of my hope, my goal. But we'll see. We may end but up. But as more. as you know from my story, it can two <laughs> and through can also become five? two and three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two plus three. <laughs> yeah, instant. Yeah, crazy man, just crazy cool, man. Hey, is there other things that you want to share or talk about, or otherwise we'll we'll wrap it up? Something that's still important or close to your heart, or anything? I think we all have the power inside of us to become uh, to achieve what we want to achieve, and the only way we're going to achieve what we want to achieve is if we can become a better version of who we want to become. That until we become the best versions of who we want to become, we're never going to achieve what we really want to achieve. And I think that's yeah. something that just rings who true. Comes first, who comes first more than what? And then the what. Yeah, and I think, like you said earlier, many people focus on the what first, myself included. I'm only trying, I'm only learning to be more intentional and more focused and more on the who side of things. And it's easy to focus on the what, but it's difficult to focus on the who because then all maybe you have to admit that you know you're also not perfect. And yeah. Start with yourself. <laughs> That's right. Everything starts. It starts with me first. Yeah. Cool, man. On that note, I would wrap it up. Awesome. Thank you very, very much, Brandon, for for being with me on this for this hour and there's some amazing stuff for me anyways. I mean, we've talked about this before, but even still there was amazing insights that I didn't know. And, and thank you for that, man. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity, my friend. Always, always good to be with you, to see your face. And uh, just so, so proud of the life and family you're building. Super. Thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you liked the session. If you did, please share this podcast. I'm sure you know someone who wants to hear this. Make no mistake, your shares are meaningful and they drive our success. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for listening in. Hope to catch you next time. Have an awesome day. Ciao.